Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it is, it is a complete book in that it really contains the gospel. It contains what God's done for us. It contains what we need to do in response to what God's done for us. It gives instructions for how to get along with each other. It gives instructions for husband and wives of not just how to get along, but how to have the kind of marriage God has called and ordained you to have. It talks about how children are to respond and respect and to obey their parents. It talks about, takes his fathers, how the basics of how, really the, the basic attitude about how to train your children and raise your children up. And then having done all that, having now finished the completion, really, of the message of the gospel, it, it really ought to end at verse 9, but there's a, there's a postscript that goes in here that starts in verse 10. And I really believe that there's a reason why this is here at the end. And it's really what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks or whatever time that we spend on this. Because it's talking about spiritual warfare. And, and you can know Ephesians 1 and 2, what God's done for you, you can know Ephesians 3, it's more of what God's done for you. You can read Ephesians 4, which tells you how we ought to treat one another and some of the things that we are to do as a consequence of what God's done for us. We can know what God, chapter 5 says about imitating Him and walking in love as He walks in love and then bringing that over into marriage relationships and then bringing that into the home with the children. We can do all that, but how many of you ever come to church... <laughs> just think if you're listening. If you ever come to church, said, yeah, that's just what I needed to hear. I got, oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And somewhere between here and home, because something came up to distract you from it. In Matthew chapter 13, and then the other gospels, uh, the other three uh, uh, synoptic gospels, there's a very important parable. And in fact, in Luke's account of it, Jesus says, if you understand this parable, you can grasp everything else that I teach you, but if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to really get a hold of everything else I teach you. And it's the parable of the sower. And it teaches the principle that God sows the word. He speaks the word into our heart, either by when you read this or when you when, when you are in church, the Spirit of God is working inside of you all the time to take what you need to hear off of the pages of this book, whether it's by hearing the preached word, whether it's on a CD, on TV, or whether it's in your own time in the Bible. And by the way, none of those should take your place of the time in the Bible. There's nothing about seeing it in your own Bible for yourself. And then that word's spoken to you, but this parable teaches us that the moment that happens, there's a battle that goes on. It says the sower sows the word, and it goes on and explains that the word, the sower is God. He's the husbandman. He is the farmer. He sows the word. So he's sowing his word into your heart tonight. And it says it, the, the, word, the seed is the word of God, but then it talks about the process by which the enemy comes to steal the word. First of all, by trying to get it so you don't even hear it, so it doesn't get planted in you. So that talks about people that wanted to come tonight and didn't make it. So the word that God wanted to sow in them tonight, for them will follow, fall on hard ground because it's not going to get in them because they weren't here to hear it. But you're here to hear it. So the next level of battle is that the word gets in, but it doesn't get very deeply rooted. We just kind of hear it and, and give lips, say, oh, that was good. What a good message tonight. And we left saying, boy, weren't we blessed? I don't know what he said, but it was good. 
I feel better than when I came. So the word got sown, but the, the ground was, 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 was thin, and the, so the roots didn't go in, in deeply. So when the pressures of the storms of life, in this case it was the, the heats of the sun the next day, the, it shrivels up because the, the roots don't get very deep. And then it talks about the seed that gets sown on good ground where the, the soil is, is there and the roots go down in the soil, but there's rocks and stones and the, the, some of the ground is clumped together. And so although there's roots down in there, they don't produce very much. And that's where there are other things in our heart to take and, and absorb the life of God that's in these words. And then the, last, the, the second to last case is where there's good soil, it, the roots get down in there, the seed gets in there, but there are other things that are in there also that we allowed to grow in that soil. And they're weeds or, or tares as the Bible calls them. And what they do is they grow up alongside of the Word, but they draw some of the strength and the nutrition that's in the soil away from the good plant so that it never produces the full harvest. And that's the process that's going on tonight. So understand this, that the enemy of your soul is coming after the Word of God then he knows something that we need to learn, which is just that word that's sown in your heart, that grows in your heart, is what will bring to you the fullness of the salvation that God has for you. So the battle is over the word. Getting heard, getting planted, growing, and producing fruit. But if you'll do what it takes to guard that plant and protect that plant, if you'll do what it takes to sow the seed and to protect it and to water it, the Word of God will produce results because it is the Word of God. The power to produce is in this Word itself. Becoming aware that many Christians are getting weary and frustrated because their prayers aren't getting answered listening to testimonies lately of, of people, not so much in the church, but other people, about you know, the frustration of praying for years and not seeing anything happen. Without understanding what the Word of God says about prayer, some things we've talked about before, there's some conditions to answer prayer. First of all, you must ask in faith. Nothing doubting. That is what answers why a lot of people's prayers aren't answered, because they ask with doubt. They may not ask with doubt, but they let doubt in. And that's not our purpose tonight, although it ends up discussing prayer. The point is that God is working in your life and wants to work in your life to direct you, to deliver you, to provide for you. He is a loving Father. Matthew 6 says, don't you know that your Father knows what you need before you ask? He goes on and says, then seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all, all, all these things that you need, will be added unto you. Is that the Word of God or isn't it? It is the Word of God. So is it true? It's true for four of you. (laughs) Those are the four it's working for. But understand this, just because you've come to God, just because you stay on the Word of God, just because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, doesn't mean it will not be opposed. There is an enemy of your soul. So having told them all these things, having sown the seed 
of the gospel into their hearts that's going to change and strengthen this church. Because if you look back in Acts chapter 20, Paul loved this church. And he met with the leaders of this church before he went to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be arrested. And he said, when I leave here, I know what's going to happen. He said, you need to appoint some strong leaders. Because when I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come in to try to devour you. Do you understand that there are wolves trying to devour the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? They'll try to come in. Some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. will try to come in and devour the sheep that are weak. And so Paul was trying to warn them about that. And I believe in large part he wrote this letter to this church from imprisonment to try to strengthen them so that they would be strong and be able to overcome those attacks of the enemy. So having laid out the sound doctrine, having laid out the principles by which they were to succeed, now he ends by focusing on the battle that's going to take place once they receive that word. And so that's kind of the background. That's why this is not just an add-on or a postscript. But this is what we need. We need to go back and understand spiritual warfare, and there are a lot of aspects to it that we could get into, we're not going to get into, but we're going to focus on one particular aspect, or, or a group of aspects on it. Let's just read here, verse 10. Finally, my brother, that means after everything else I've said, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to be withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're going to stop there. Paul is warning them that in the midst of where they are, they need to be strong. If there was ever a day and age when we as the church need to be strong, it's today. We need to be strong. Well, pastor, I don't feel strong. Well, I have days I don't feel strong either. But he didn't say anything about how you feel. In fact, if you look in Joshua chapter 1, he commands him to be strong. And if God can command us to do something, He's a just and fair God. He's not going to command us to do something we're not capable of doing. Now, we may not feel capable, but I've got a shock for you and for me. We're capable of doing all kinds of things we don't feel as if we can do. God knows what we can do. The other aspect of it is we often measure whether we can do it by how we feel we also measure whether we can do it by looking at ourselves and our own strength and our own resources. And there's nothing he says in here about relying on your strength. He's not telling you to be strong in yourself. He's telling us to be strong in Him. Now my one question for you tonight is, is He strong enough? Well, if God's not strong enough, we're all in trouble. 
So he's not telling us to be strong in ourselves. He's not telling us to be strong in our emotions or how we feel. He's telling us to be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Now let's just dwell on those words for a few moments. And maybe for the evening. Be strong in the Lord and the power of Dunamis is the word. That's the word from which we get dynamite. It describes the absolute power and ability of God. And the reason we feel weak in the circumstances and the feelings seem so overwhelming to us is we're comparing how we feel against the circumstances. And when I measure these awesome circumstances that the devil is so good at displaying in such a threatening way. Understand, he's a master deceiver. He knows how to present these challenges to you in just the way that will threaten you and tell you that you can't succeed. But the Bible, Jesus, gives us an insight into him that's very important to understand. Jesus says about Satan that he is a liar and the father of lies and goes on to say, and in him is no truth. That means that whatever he's telling you or whatever he's showing you is a lie. You may not be able to figure it all out, But you know one thing, if it is the enemy that's talking to you, you don't figure it out, don't pay attention to it, you automatically know based on God's word, it's not true. It can look true. It can smell true. It can feel true. But he cannot tell the truth. What he can do is use the truth as a weapon and tell you a lie about the truth. Make a real simple example. When they poison animals, they're going to poison rats or mice. They don't use plastic bait. They use real food. So you put a piece of cheese on the end of that trap, if you can ever figure out how to set the trap without setting it off, snapping your fingers in it. But you use real cheese to catch the mouse, because the mouse isn't going to be tempted by plastic cheese. He, He smells the real bait and goes after the bait, not seeing that it's the real cheese It's true, it's really cheese, but the real message is, you're over. (laughs) It's not put there to bless the mouse or feed him or satisfy the appetite. The real message of the mousetrap is, I want to kill you. But he uses real cheese. So if you can't discern the bait from the trap, you're going to end up trapped. 
So we need to develop, develop discernment and not just react to what you see or what you hear or what you feel. Because the devil's tactic is to come at you with some kind of evidence so that you'll react and we always react out of our flesh. And your flesh is always wrong. Always wrong. That's why he tempts your flesh. See, it says here in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. He uses tricks and devices. Why? See, now notice the contrast here, the comparison. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in what? The what? The what? The power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the power of the devil. Look at your Bible. That's not what it says. But that's what we think. We think the battle that we're caught up in is a battle between the power of God and the power of Satan. He doesn't have any power over you. God's not warning you to be wary of his power. Now, he has power, all right, but he doesn't have it over you if you're a Christian. Because Colossians 1.13 says you were delivered out of the domain, the dominion, the authority, the power of darkness. That's his domain. And you were transferred over into the kingdom of his beloved son. When you came to Christ, he pulled you out of his domain and his kingdom and put you over in the kingdom and domain of the son of his love. Hebrews chapter 2 says that he defeated Satan so that the power of fear and bondage would be broken over your life. First John chapter 4 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. Well, did he come? Did he fail? No. So he destroyed the works of the evil one, the power of the evil one to everyone who's in Christ. Well, then how come he's controlling my life? He's not using his power. He's using the power God gave you and gets you to use it against yourself. And the main weapon is located two to three inches under your nose. Proverbs warns us to watch this thing. Because life and death are in the what? The power of your tongue. Your tongue has mighty spiritual power. So notice, what the, you need to know who the combatants are in the war and what their weapons are. That's what this is about. The weapons of God, we're going to look at those in a minute, are the power of God. And the weapons of the enemy are deceit. Deceit has no power. 
it tricks you into using your power against yourself. I've taught this before, but, but it, it's just this, it's the, to me it's the clearest example of, of understanding that if you know, you know, I'm trying to think where I've seen it. I know somewhere in, in my walk, in my life, I've been in places where it warns you that there are pickpockets present. There are likely to be pickpockets in this, in this area. Well, if you're on guard, you know what I'll do? In fact, when, I, when I'm going in a crowd, I will just periodically rub, brush my hand back against my wallet just to keep my finger back there and, and just to check and make sure that if it disappears, I can turn around quickly and see where it went. But see, Brendan, stand up. See, what a pickpocket will do, and I'm not a pickpocket, but what I understand they'll do, is he'll come, and sometimes they'll use several of them, but they'll come up and they'll brush against you or do something to draw your attention. Now, you don't do this. Where's your wallet here? They don't do your wallet. You know, he you doesn't have a wallet. She didn't get you have one tonight. Okay, well, you can sit down then. <laughs> I mean, if a pickpocket comes along and says, excuse me, sir, that's what my granddaughter does. She comes a papa, and her hand's back in my trying to pull my wallet out. It's one thing when it's your granddaughter. But what do they do? A pickpocket's going to come, and what they use deceit. So what they'll do is they'll make some kind of contact or something to draw your attention where they want it. And where they want your attention is somewhere other than where they're going to work. So if you know you're where there's a pickpocket and somebody strange, a stranger to you bumps up against you, don't look where they touched you, look where, what they're after. So somebody brushes up against you, I go like this. Or wherever I might keep a wallet or something. That's being wise about the deceit. Now that's a simple, natural example. But when you bring it over into the spiritual, it's very powerful. Because what the devil will do is he'll make a frontal assault at you. And he knows you well enough to know where your weaknesses are. And he knows how to present the assault. And he'll talk to you about it. It may be that he comes at you and you know, gives you thoughts that you know are not good. They're not, maybe not clean thoughts. And then what he'll follow that up with the next thought is, what kind of Christian are you to have that kind of thought in church? During praise and worship. You might as well put your hand down. God's not going to listen to you. He knows you have these kind of thoughts. Anybody ever had that thought? Yeah. It's two honest people here. This is just the right group tonight. <laughs> you all need to get saved. <laughs> Maybe this is a time for Lafayette's we're all going to, you're all going to hell message. <laughs> and now it's just one of those Wednesday nights. <laughs> it says not to be ignorant of his devices. So we got the power of God on one hand fighting against the tricks of the enemy. So the enemy will come at you just the way he knows you're the most vulnerable so that he can get you to react directly back against what he just did. It's like two kids getting in an argument. Says, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? They don't even know what they're arguing about after a while. What he's after is never 
what it looks like. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a deceit. So the moment you realize it's, it's the enemy coming at you, you need to stop and look at what is he after? What's he really after? Because he's not after what it looks like because he's a deceiver. Now, the Bible tells us what to do, but before we do that, before we do that, I want to stay in verse 10 because I want to show you. It just hit me during praise and worship. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, go with me to chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Having gone through all kinds of promises and wonderful things. I mean, you, you, you ought to spend some time just reading this slowly over and over again. I just encourage you just to read chapter 1 once a day, every day. Just try that for a week and see, watch what happens. Slowly. Not just because you're supposed to do it. Slowly read through it and think about it. But then down in verse 15, he talks about a prayer. He says, Therefore I also, after heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So Paul is saying, I pray for you regularly that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give to you a spirit or an attitude or an understanding of revelation of the knowledge of Him. Now what about Him? That the eyes of your understanding, that's not your physical eyes, that's your eyes inside of here, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened so that you may know there's three things listed here. Number one, the hope of His calling. Number two, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saint. So there's a calling that God has for you. Talking about your future. And the hope of that calling. So Paul was praying for the Ephesians that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their understanding that they would truly see the hope. The word hope in the New Testament doesn't mean like we usually mean it. I hope so. It means a confident, steadfast, certain assurance of something. God wants you to have an assurance of your future. God wants you to have a steadfast, certain assurance of your future with Him. Secondly, and what are the, this is that you may have a revelation from God of the riches of the glory of an inheritance of the, with all the saints. So there's an inheritance that you have. He talks about that earlier in chapter 1. But he wants us to have a revelation of the riches of that inheritance. That's something to look forward to. In the saints. And this is the third one I want you to see. This is the one. And what is the exceeding? Now we're talking about a warfare here. The guy on the other side just has deceit. This is what God has. And he wants us to have an, a revelation of the exceeding greatness of His power. That's great. God has unlimited power. Oh, wonderful. What good does it do me? That's God. But I'm the one in the mess here. But read on. A revelation of the exceeding greatness of His power towards us. 
who believe. There's the key. According, this is going to measure what his power is like. According to the working of his mighty power. So he's trying to give us now. See, it's hard. We're talking about something that's relative. Because when you're talking about strength, it depends on who you're comparing it to. Now, if you compare Brendan's strength with mine, he's strong. I can just tell by his arm. He's a lot stronger than I am. But you can go to Mr. Universe or one of these guys that's muscle from here to the feet. <laughs> and pretty much here, too. And now Brendan's not so strong as he is when you compare him to me. So strength is a relative term. It depends on who you're comparing strength with. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's strength against Satan's devices. Because that's the warfare that the Bible says. So God's got to find some way by the Holy Spirit to get across to us mortal human beings who are well aware of our weakness when we get to this point, what his strength is really like. So he's going to give us an example of his strength because Paul's praying we have a revelation of the exceeding greatness of that strength and power that's been displayed towards us. You ready? All right. The working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. When? When he raised him from the dead. Let's stop there a second, because we can read over that too quickly. When's the last time you raised something from the dead? <laughs> I mean, on your own. I mean, doctors can heal. In most cases, actually what they've learned to do from what I understand is they don't heal anybody. They've learned how to cooperate with the body's healing process so that the body will heal itself. And they'll use medicines and herbs and things like that and, and, and exercise and things to do that. But essentially, they're not making the body use something it can't do itself. They're just helping it to do that. Because antibiotics simply trigger antibodies that your body makes. They don't put antibodies in you. They actually put the disease in you at a small amount to trigger the antibodies that your body makes. But once someone's dead, the doctor's skills, training, drugs, everything that's at that doctor's and the medical world's disposal suddenly becomes powerless and ineffective once they declare that person's dead. Oh, they may try with the paddles to, to, to bring them back to life. But after a little while, if that doesn't work, because dead means there's no more life in that body. So we're talking about the power of God that raised Jesus from that state and brought him back to life. But where was he 
when God did that. He wasn't in the tomb. That's where the body was. The Bible goes to tell us that, that he spoiled principalities and powers. That's demonic spirits. And made a public show over them, triumphing over them in it. Colossians, the book of Colossians. Where are those principalities and powers? They weren't in the tomb. The Spirit of God literally went down into the place of death. And in the place of death, Hades brought a dead man alive. That's why Jesus says in Revelation, I am he who is dead and am now alive. And I have in my key hands the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Where did he get them? In the tomb? Oh, no. So the power that God, the Spirit of God is trying to show us that God displays towards us is measured by the degree of power it took to raise Christ from the dead in the place of death. Oh, but it's not over. Not only did he bring him alive and bring him back to the earth. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all principality and power and might and every in dominion and every name that is named in, on, in this age, but also what is to come. Hold your finger there and let's go back to chapter 6. Let's see what it is we wrestle against. Verse 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What did he raise him above when he raised him from the dead? Principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that's named. What power that raised him from the dead also raised him up above every enemy that you have that Ephesians 10 talks about. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against principalities and powers. But they've already been defeated by the power of God that we're to be strong in. We're not talking about fighting a battle in order to win. We're talking about walking out a battle that's already been won. The spiritual warfare we're in is a war that's over. It's just that you and I have to learn to how to enforce that victory in our lives. That's all it is. That's why he says be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But the reason that most of us aren't Struggling in the, in the battle that's already been... Struggling. You don't understand the difference between a battle and a war? Washington lost almost all of his battles, but won the war. And guess which counted? The wars were counted. Because the war is the end result of who wins and who loses. And you may have lost some battles, but I got good news for you tonight. The war's over. Your champion has won the war. You're just learning how to live that victory out 
in your life. The Bible also says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Always leads us in triumph, victory in Christ Jesus. But the reason so many of us struggle is we're fighting the battle not in Christ. We're fighting the battle in our own strength. And in your strength, you're going to lose almost every time. Because you and I will fight it in our flesh. He'll throw something at you and you get mad. Get mad at somebody. I can't afford to be mad at anybody. I can't afford to have strife. Pilots of these supersonic fighters, they can't afford to make a mistake that somebody in an old, you know, Tin Lizzie or whatever it was, Flying Jenny or whatever was it called, any whatever it was, the old World War II planes, I mean, these jets that are going at Mach 2, you make the slightest wrong error, I mean, you've got a problem. So the faster you're flying, the hotter the battle. You don't, we can't afford to do things we could have afforded to do before. We're going to learn later that envy, jealousy, strife are among the weapons of Satan. James calls them doctrines of demons. But you don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. It's a doctrine of demons. But I can't help you. It's a doctrine of demons. Do you want demons controlling your life? Then stay in strife. It's a bait. It's a weapon. And if you give in to that weapon and react to that weapon, then you are fighting the war on his territory. And the Bible doesn't say to do that. In fact, we're going to learn that the armor of God is to protect you so that those things can't control you. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things the church, over all things to the church, gave him to be head who defeated Satan, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him fulfills all in all. Now, how can the head win the battle and the body lose? How can the head win something that the body doesn't also win? Unless we get separated from the head. All right, let's go back to chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We've now seen what the power of His might has done. We just need to be strong in it. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice all God's expecting you to do here. He isn't expecting you to charge the devil. He's just expecting you to stand. You know, in, in Revelation, over and over again, 
it talks about the reward that comes to him who overcomes. What God expects us to do is simply overcome. Overcome what? Overcome the wiles of the devil. So on the one hand, we've got, in this warfare, we've got the power, of, the power of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and defeated principalities and powers and triumphed over them and put them into subjection under his feet, which is under the church, which is his body. That's us. So he defeated him, put him under our feet. In, 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 a, in Hebrews chapter 2, I think it is, it says, no, it should be Hebrews chapter it's 8 or 9 somewhere, it says, he's waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. He wants to be able to put his feet up on them. And that's our job. Our job is, because we're the feet, our job is to put him under his feet. That's called defeating him. But notice, and we'll, we'll, we'll begin to bring this to a close tonight because we can't really get into the whole thing yet. It says, how do we do this? Our call in this war is to stand. Just stand. I don't mean you say, but I mean just stand against the wiles. In other words, not give in <coughs> against the wiles of the devil. Now, how do I do that? Do I just get here and just get so determined? Devil, I've got to see you coming. You're not going to get me. You're not going to get me. You're not going to get me. You're a sure target. The more you determine he's not going to get you, the more enticing you become. See, we've got to learn to follow the instructions. This is an instruction for how to win your battle. The war's won, but to how to win your particular battle, this is the instructions. Gives us the goal in every warfare. From I want to understand, there is a mission. There is a goal for this battle, for this campaign. Take this hill, defeat the enemy, hold them back. Whatever it is, there's a stated goal. The stated goal here is to stand against the wiles of the enemy. And the way we do that is to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And what we do with the enemy is to stand against his wiles. And how do we do that? Well, we don't do it by being so determined. How do we do it? He tells us right here. The instructions are so simple. They're right here. Put on the whole armor of God. So the Holy Spirit's telling us through the Apostle Paul that the only way you can successfully stand against the wiles of the devil is to have put on the whole armor of God. And most of us are out there trying to fight the devil in our own strength, deal with his wiles by our own understanding, and wondering why we're getting beaten up and want to quit. If you lose enough, you want to quit. Nobody that's winning wants to quit. I mean, where is he? Let me have him. Let me at him. <laughs> Nobody that's winning wants to quit. It's when you think you're not going to make it, which, by the way, is one of his wiles. See, when you, I, every once in a while you need to go to the end of the book and read what happens to him yes. and just take it out. I was looking at that this morning. Just take it out and read it to him. You know, at your lowest point, 
when it's screaming at you, you're not going to make it? Just read to him about the lake of fire. <laughs> Say, I know all kinds of other stuff happens, but by the way, this is the end of the book. This is where it's going to happen. I like this chapter. It says, Satan bound 1,000 years. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> oh, let's just read this. Revelation 20, verse 7. Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out, look at this, to deceive, to what? To what? Deceive the nations. That's all he can do. Which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is at the sand of the sea. There went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounding the camp of the saints and the beloved city, a fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. What? A fire came down. He's got deception. God has a fire that comes down. <laughs> to devour them, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Endeavor. Endeavor. There's an earlier verse that says, and when they catch him and bring him out, the leaders of the earth are going to stand around and laugh and says, Is this what we were afraid of? Forever. Endeavor. 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 We win if we don't quit. That's why his goal is to simply get you to quit and God's goal is for us to stand it's that simple he wants you to quit with his last breath before he's thrown into the lake of fire it wouldn't surprise me if he's telling you you're going to lose all the way down you're going to lose you're going to lose you're going to lose Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and lifted Him up above principalities and powers and seated Him in heavenly places. That same power, Paul says, has been demonstrated towards you. His power, Satan's devices. No contest if you'll stand. Next week we'll begin to look at the armor of God that allows us to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Let's pray.